Everybody and welcome to another episode of the list. As always, my name is Brett. On the other end of the tin cannon string is Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing today? Uh, it's a victory Monday, so everything's great, man. How are you? Pretty good. And of course, since it's a victory Monday and Mike Gasicki is behind us, Zach Jackson has returned as producer. Like I said, I'm working under the theory that anytime we play against Mike Gasicki, Zach, who is the biggest Mike Gasicki fan I know, will always take that week off so he doesn't have to listen to us. Uh, talk trash on his favorite player um but he has to deal with the uh with the uh results from this weekend for those who don't know but as jordan said it is victory monday the dolphins coming off of a 31 to 17 victory of the new england patriots a little i felt a little more comfortable this game than last game jordan uh score was a little more but it felt like last time there was a lot more mistakes and even though there were mistakes this game it never felt even after we went down seven nothing like this game was in danger to me. Um, I know you were at the game, so I don't know if you felt the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, I said last week, and I'm actually going to pat myself on the back here for a quick 30 seconds. Um, I said, as we talked last week, that I thought that this game was going to be a lot like the first game. Um, in the first game, I picked 31-17 Dolphins. So I'm going to give myself a pseudo win for calling the correct score for this game. Um, even though I did say 31-13, um, and we scored 31, so I've gotten one half of the score right each time. Um, but, yeah, there was never really a time. Um, you mentioned starting slow, um, but to me that's just two teams that kind of know each other at this point. Um, I think, like we talked about with other games that we've had this season, I definitely think there was a little bit of going um, going with the flow and kind of just sitting back and not taking the game as seriously as you probably should have. Um but, I mean, when you score 31 points against a division opponent, like Coach McDaniel said to the team after a game, um, you should be proud anytime you can sweep a division opponent. Um, and it definitely feels good as a Dolphin fan knowing that you swept the Patriots um, and we're just over halfway through the season and the Patriots are already behind us. Yeah. And just to go along with that, um, I think people, um, both on the fan base, on a micro level, but also on a macro level, with the national media, they forget how much of a week-to-week season the NFL is. People talk about us being frauds, and you heard me get worked up about that last week. Uh, but the 49ers have now lost three straight games. Buffalo lost to this Patriots team last week. They probably should have lost to the Giants, and they could have lost to the Bucks. Two of the three games they've lost, there were pass interferences not called in the end zone. They could have cost them, uh, the Bills, that is. Um, the Chiefs have looked bat fairly mediocre for a couple weeks, finally lost to to the uh, Broncos yesterday. And um, even the Eagles, uh, despite a nice win last week or the, uh, against us and then yesterday against the Commanders, they've looked hot and cold too. So I just think – I don't think people really appreciate how much of a week-to-week league this is. Yeah, I think we are – we're really wide open – um, there are a lot of teams that can win the Super Bowl. There are a lot of teams that can make the Super Bowl. And I think that makes for a good league. Um, but I'm interested to see what the talk is going to be of the San Fran 49ers being frauds. Um, I, I don't see that as much as I saw with the Dolphins. Um, I feel like NFL fans, and I wonder if this is just how the algorithm works because we're Dolphin fans I mean, because we see Dolphin Twitter, is that it seems so overblown every time the Dolphins do something compared to when other teams do something. Um, talk about the Brock Purdy concussion situation. Um, just talk about different things that have happened. The Chiefs struggling against the Broncos. Um, the Bills losing to the Patriots last week and us beating the Patriots this week. It, it feels like the the feedback is a lot more biased when you're talking about the Dolphins. Uh, but this league is wide open. Um, I can look at the standings right now, and you can make a case for a lot of teams um, representing both the AFC and the NFC in the Super Bowl. Now, I think that the top-tier teams in the NFC, um, I think the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Lions, um, really, I guess you could say the 49ers and put the Seahawks into that category, um, those five teams 
really, I think there is a bigger gap between those five teams and the rest of the conference than there is in the AFC. Um, but in the AFC, I mean, legitimately, you could make a case or see a scenario or see a timeline where the Chiefs, the Jaguars, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Bills, and then you start looking at teams like even the Jets, the Steelers, the Browns start making plays on defense and have a good enough defense where they can compete uh, in December, January. And that's not even talking about Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Um, So I think that the AFC has a lot more depth to it um, than the NFC does. But I think we have a wide, wide open Super Bowl um, run. And if I told you five, six years ago that we saw a possibility of a Dolphins-Lions Super Bowl, I think people would have laughed at us. So this is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And we will get more into the uh, talk about the seating a little later in this episode. Uh, but you did mention the slow start. I am, I did ask it, put in the script to see if this is a cause for concern. Uh, more so because the run game is kind of taking a step back. Uh, Jeff Wilson only got five touches. He did average 4.6 yards a carry. Uh, Raheem Mostert at 3.5. And um, this is really the second week in a row the run run game hasn't really been super effective. Now, I do think we kind of abandoned the run a little early. Uh, now, give credit where credit is due. New England was one of the better run defenses in the league, if not the best. So giving them credit. And um, But it is, the one thing that I find kind of interesting is this is the second week where the outside zone run has been taken away. Uh, last week, we could not block Hassan Reddick. This week, it felt like New England was just constantly uh, doing run blitzes, which credit to them, and we just weren't having, even even with the regular blitzes, we just weren't having an extra blocker to cover for that. Uh, Jordan, do you think the run game struggles, uh, is that teams figuring out the scheme? Do you think it's just because at times we had – well, for most of the game, we had four backup offensive linemen and even our third offensive tackle in the game for a little bit. Or is this also we're seeing how much of a difference Achan is, maybe not from Mostert specifically, but from Ahmed and Wilson? Well, I think Achan's a reason that you can attribute to last week's game against the Eagles, not having him um, for the struggles in the run game. Um, for this game specifically, like you said, it's a week-to-week thing. Um, I think the script was just flipped um, from the last time we played them in New England. I mean, you look at last time we played them, uh, we ran for 145 yards and only threw for 249. Uh, This time, we ran for 78 yards and threw for 324. Um, So I think you saw the Patriots a lot more than in the first game try to gear against the run. Um, I think teams are starting to figure out how to play that outside uh, stretch play that the Dolphins love to run. Um, teams are starting to figure it out. That outside zone where they try to run um, in between that tackle and that tight end um, is not working as well. Again, I think part of that is um, the HN missing. I think part of that is our tight ends have had a couple off weeks. Um, we highlighted that in the Philly game that I didn't think our tight ends um, played as well as they have been. Um But I think also the fact is we were just able to do whatever we wanted in the pass game. Um, Waddle went for 121. Tyreek went for 112 yards. And when your number one and number two receivers combined for 233 yards in a game where really, I mean, you slowed down um, and probably could have scored a lot more, um, I think the Dolphins, like we said, were just looking to get out of there um, and move on to next week. Um, So take the fact that our two receivers had 235 yards. Um, take the fact that they already saw most of the run schemes we're going to throw at them and take in the fact that our tight ends haven't been playing well for a couple weeks. Um, and that's why you got three yards of carry, and that's why you got 78 yards on the ground. However, I think that's something that you'll see come back, especially next week against the Chiefs, um, and then coming out of the bye against the Raiders. I mean, those two games specifically, um, I look for us to have a lot of success running the ball in those games. Yep. Yep, and we are going to be getting into that Chiefs game later this week. I'm actually really excited to uh, break that game down, especially from what I've seen from us as well as from the Chiefs. Uh, But I did also want to give a shout-out to someone who has been a punching bag for the Dolphins. We've been talking about Austin Jackson doing – he's been a bust up until this year. Last year was more injuries, but he has not lived up to his draft expectation. But per PFF, 
against the Patriots. Austin Jackson had 48 pass blocking snaps, zero sacks, zero pressures allowed. Um, he was actually our highest rated offensive lineman this week per PFF. Now, PFF is an interesting tool. I don't always trust their grading for the offensive line, but, you know, hats off to, to Ajax. I never thought I'd see him at any point be rated as our top offensive lineman by any, like, publication. So uh, his improvement's been really good, and he's only 24, but we went – I don't know about you, Jordan, but I went from saying Robert Hunt and Connor Williams are the surefire re-signs, and they still are. But now I'm at the point where I think that Austin Jackson is making himself a very, very tough or a very, very tough person to, to let walk. Yeah, but I think it's going to be very tough to keep all three of them, especially with the other pieces that we have to pay. Um, I think it's going to be a situation where you're going to have to pay two of Hunt, Austin Jackson, and Robert Hunt. Uh, Hunt, Austin Jackson, and Connor Williams. Um, it's going to be interesting to see which two they decide to go with. If I had to guess, I would say Hunt and Jackson, just simply because we drafted them. Connor Williams did have a little bit of the snap issues. Um, and I could see them going and trying to add either a veteran uh, center for a little cheaper or drafting a young, young center that can build with the team. Um, but I also thought they were going to draft a young center last year, and I thought they were going to draft a young center the year before. Um, I thought they were going to draft Eric McCoy before that. I thought they were going to draft Cesar Ruiz before that. Um, so every year I feel like there's a, a young center or two that I think the Dolphins should get. Um, and it seems like the Dolphins just have other plans for the center position. Um, but I think that right now Robert Hunt is definitely the guy that you are going to try to resign. Um, and then either Austin Jackson or Connor Williams. Um, but I just go to Austin Jackson. I mean, props to that guy. Uh, he He's, I mean, really young. He's come a long way after having a lot of hate um, from Dolphin fans. But if you can get that guy on a four-year deal, you have him for his year 25, year 26, year 27, year 28. Um, and you have him really for the prime of his life. I mean, that's where... A guy's peak is physically between those ages. So you're getting a guy just coming into his own. Um, rather than a guy like Connor Williams, if you re-sign him for four years, you now have him going into his age 30 and 31 seasons on the back end of that deal. So I think Robert Hunt and Austin Jackson make the most sense. Um, and I think that that's going to be a very tough decision that Chris Greer is going to have to make. And I think it's a tough decision that they're going to have to have a plan for if they're going to lose one of those guys because you can't go into this offseason and say we have somebody in-house that can take over at one of those positions. Right. And speaking of Robert Hunt, he did get hurt early on in this game. It looked like it was going to be a pretty serious injury. Um, it does sound like he's day-to-day. -day. Um, I saw some of the celebration videos afterwards at the Dolphins post on Twitter, and he seemed to be in good spirits. So it does seem like he'll be good to go uh but still that did not make having an offensive line of austin jackson lester cotton liam eichenberg um robert jones and kendall lamb that appealing and then of course towards the end of the first half kendall lamb got hurt and keon smith had to come in uh, i was only five snaps but he got a 64 rating on pff and I don't. I was actually shocked. It was. It was. It was a small sample size, Jordan. I don't know if it. If you were able to see it at the stadium, but there were a couple snaps on that one drive. Keon Smith was in, where he had no one to block. Like, I was shocked that the Patriots didn't try to test him that drive. We got a field goal that drive, I believe. Uh, but we did. He, they just loaded everybody up to the to the other side of the line, and I I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, I thought they were going to go with Keon Moore. Um, it was definitely a moment of panic once uh, Lamb got hurt. You were wondering what was going to happen. Um, and Keon came in and didn't really get tested. So um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if um, we should be hopeful for that. Um, but you definitely hope that that offensive line gets healthy, um, if not this week, at least over the bye and, and coming out of the bye. Yeah, and Connor Williams was active, but of course they said that it was probably a – in case of emergency to play. But even with you all know, that, that was interesting. I, I wonder what would have happened if like, let's say Keon would have gone down or Eichenberg would have gone down um, with Connor Williams active. I don't know if, if he was even a position 
where he could have come in. Like when a couple guys got hurt, I noticed on the sideline, he didn't even move in that direction like he was even considering going into the game. So having Connor Williams active and then having all those guys go down, um, that was definitely um, something interesting that would have been interesting to see if this was a, a... Yeah, and um, with all those backups, we still, um, going into that season, going into this game, New England's defense hadn't given up a 100-yard receiver all season, and we got two of them. Uh, you know, Jalen Waddle had a couple frustrating drops, which you just had to deal with with him. Uh, but I guess we can talk a little bit about Tua with this one. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about, Jordan, is I don't think people realize how disgusting that Waddle touchdown was. And from the TV, from the TV view and the All Twenty Two view, you see three people go with the fake to Jeff Wilson as well as to uh, bracket Tyree Kill. I don't know why people continue to bracket Tyree Kill um, as they tried on his touchdown too, but no one went with Waddle. The guy who was supposed to be with Waddle lost him right at the line of scrimmage, and as soon as he as soon as he snapped the ball, you saw Waddle's hand go went up calling for it. Um, is that, in your opinion as a coach, is that just great scheme or was the defense just compensating for Hill? Uh, I think it's a mixture of both. Um, I think it's the offense and the scheme knowing that they're going to fight on Hill. Um, I also think it's a testament to Tua um, and how quickly he throws the ball. Um, because once he looked like he was going to throw the ball, everybody had to bite because that ball was going to get there, and he just held it back and had Waddle obviously wide open for six. Um, it was just a great play. I think Tua um, is in a groove right now. And when things are going right, I don't know if there's any quarterback right now better um, other than, let's say, a guy like Mahomes. Um, but we still need to work on when things go wrong. Um, but right now there's a lot going right. Uh, so... It's interesting to see uh, what the, the adjustments that teams are going to make. I mean, we're going to play the Jets twice in a span of five weeks or a span of four weeks, sorry. Um, and I'm going to be very interested to see not the November 24th Jets game, not the Black Friday game, but the second Jets game, how a team responds to playing Tua twice in four weeks and how he responds to doing that. Um, so it's it's going to continue to be growth. It's going to continue to be adjustments. And right now, we're looking like we're going to have a playoff spot, um, holding our fingers, but it looks like we're headed in that direction. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what we do in order to get healthy and stay healthy um, come January. Yeah, absolutely. And just to go along with some of the touchdowns, I, will, I guess we should start chronologically and first go with Tua's interception. Of course, you saw all the haters start going off on Twitter. It, I think what people need to realize what is Tua is just naturally aggressive. So sometimes it's just going to be he's going to trust his arm, he's going to trust his receiver. But I think also people have to realize how many option routes are in this scheme and system. And Tyreek just ran the route a little too deep. But again, you got to give credit. New England, for all their faults right now, still do have a great defense. I'm guessing that's what you saw as well. Tua could probably, and what people don't realize, is most quarterbacks in the NFL um, could probably dink and dunk and never throw an interception. And <laughs> Justin Herbert. Sacks, they, they, they could take sacks. They could throw the ball away. Um, they can just spike the ball into the ground. They can do a lot of things. Tua throwing interceptions and not stopping and just continuing to go out there shows how much confidence he has in this offense and how much confidence they have in him. Um, Tua, at this point, is going to, as his career progresses, cut down on that, but you're going to see him just like you see every quarterback throw interceptions. He's not like a Josh Allen where he's just going to fucking chuck it and if it gets picked, it gets picked and he's going to throw a lot of them. Um, but in an offense, Tua threw the ball 45 times. Yesterday, yeah. 45 times. And one of those times was caught by the other team. I mean, come on. Like, what What are we What are we complaining about? What are we arguing about? Um, luckily, when I'm at the game, I try to stay off of Twitter um, unless something happens and I need an update. Um, I check out the Discord a little bit, but I, I try to stay off of Twitter. Um, so I'm glad I didn't see any of the hate once that Tua pick happened. 
Um, but I mean, the guy right now, and I haven't looked at the odds today, but the guy should be the the favorite for MVP. So, what are, what are we talking about? He threw an interception early in the game. Yeah, and I've said it before. I've seen Peyton Manning at the top of top of his top like MVP year throw five interceptions on a I forget if it was Monday or Sunday Night Football, but against the Chargers because that was Antonio Camardi's coming out party. Uh, so, and no one talks about that. So. Like I'll say, interceptions can suck. You don't want to see a quarterback throwing a lot, but you just got to realize some quarterbacks are just aggressive, and sometimes you just have to tip your hat to the defense. But to go off of that, we all know it it is now a thing that there is a post-interception to uh, who just doesn't mess up. Comes back, next drive, throws a 40-plus yard touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill, which, um, again... They talk about it. Why do people keep trying to press Tyreek? Why do people try and bracket him? He just runs past it. Uh, Stephen A. Smith was getting dunked on on Twitter after this. Everybody just joking about how he made that comment about Tua throwing two-yard passes all the time, which was which will never get old to me. It's never, never not funny. But you ask what people are complaining about. This play more than anything had people on the daily sports talk shows talk about if Tyreek Hill should be the MVP over Tua. Which gets me thinking is everybody always thought Tyree Kill was number one receiver at or with Kansas City. But I don't think people really talked about Tyree Kill with Kansas City the same way they talk about him with the Dolphins. And what I mean is the talk was last year, and of course some of this is because of the perceived weaknesses Tua had, but he would regret going to Kansas City aside, or from Kansas City to Miami because, except for his bank account and living in Miami, he wouldn't reach near his levels of success with without Mahomes. Now, and we'll get into this later. This year, more like a year later, you can tell Kansas City's definitely missing Tyreek Hill. And again, we'll talk about that on later when we do the uh, breakdowns on the next show. But I don't think I've ever seen a wide receiver, maybe Megatron, but any wide receiver be as dominant as Cheat has been since he's come to Miami. Uh, I think part of it is I know once he got the contract and he said in his podcast that he wanted to prove that he was worth the contract. So I think that's his mindset really surprised me. And I never thought of him as someone who was a leader and he's definitely been that since Miami. But um, he probably would have broke these records last year if Tua didn't get hurt. Like, I think he was on pace uh, for similar numbers before Tua's concussion. So the question I have is how much of this is people not appreciating what Cheetah was before he came here? How much of it is people just not appreciating how good Tua is? And how much of it is McDaniels just being right up there as one of the best play designers? And honestly, how can you break this evenly three ways? Um, So I'm going to answer what you said in a couple parts. First of all, um, I think when you're talking about receivers um, that were physically dominating, we're talking specifically size um, and jump ball type ability. Um, obviously Megatron, obviously Randy Moss in that Patriots season specifically. Um, when you're talking about route running, you look at guys like Jerry Rice. Um, obviously you could talk about Terrell Owens in both of those categories. But from a speed standpoint – and being a fast receiver, I don't know if anybody's ever had a season like Tyreek Hill is having. I don't, well, obviously he's gonna he's on pace to break the all time records for yards. So no, nobody's had a season like Tyreek. But he is just so physically dominating um, and so fast and gets so open. I don't know. You can key on him all you want. I really don't know how you stop him unless him and two are just off that day. I mean. It, it takes either him being on or Tua being on. Uh, if one of it happens, you're going to have a great day. So that's that. Um, as far as if he would have had that season last season or if people were doubting him and all that or doubting Tua, I think it was more people doubting Tua um, and, do- and doubting Tua's ability to throw a deep pass, even though what I always say when people ask me about Tua's deep ball is go back and look at it might not have been the very first throw he made in college, but look at the first big throw he made in college. I mean, if you can make that throw, you could be a star quarterback in any league. Um, I think it was to, to Devonta Smith in the back of the end zone. Yep. Um, but that, that's all you have to look at. 
when it comes to Tua. And you go look. I, I don't understand how the narrative of he's a dink and dunk guy. I, I don't. I don't really know how that came up. Um, and I think that was again what I talked about earlier, where it's just dolphin bias um, because you just expect the dolphins to be bad and find a way to fuck it up. Um, and I think it was also because in the beginning of his career, he didn't have an offensive line and he kept getting hurt. And I think he would have gotten murdered if he didn't actually get the ball out of his hands like he was doing, plus the offense that he was in. Um, so I think that this is a combination, a perfect storm, if you will, of Tua's ability to throw the ball, Tyreek's ability, and Tyreek's ability right now to be playing at the highest level of football we've ever seen, plus Mike McDaniel's play calling. So all three of those things put together are magic, um, and we just got to hope that we are still trending upward, which I think we are. I don't think we've shown everything. Um, I think we have some tricks up our sleeves. I think we're going to take this game very seriously. I'm not looking ahead, but I'm going to pick the Dolphins to win uh, when we record later this week. I think that we're just starting to see, and out of the bye you'll see, um, what this Dolphins team is really made of. Um, but I think that as far as Tyreek's concerned, just I am so proud uh, of the fact that we brought him to the Dolphins organization and proud of who he's been um, on the football field for us over these last couple seasons. It's been it's really been unbelievable to watch. Um, and I don't remember. I mean, I'm I'm 31. Um, I don't remember having this much fun ever watching a Dolphins team as I'm having right now. No, the only thing that comes kind of close, and even that was a frustrating season, was the Wildcat year, just yeah, because we were true. actually winning. But that was after a 1-15 in 15 year, so of course, winning 11 games is going to be fun. But um, the other thing, I, I echo your sentiments on Tyreek, because we made Mike Wallace one of the highest paid receivers in the NFL, and he was a locker room cancer. Greg Jennings came in on a one-year deal, but he was always an all-pro with Green Bay he was not a good fit in our locker room. Brandon Marshall, everybody knows what Brandon Marshall's been like in locker rooms. So we've had number one receivers or we've tried to get number one receivers, but no one's really embraced the team, embraced the leadership role and embraced the quarterback like Tyreek did with Tua. And I think just as much as McDaniel's showing the love he's shown for Tua, Tyreek doing it too, I think has definitely helped Tua get to that level, especially after what we saw with Flo. Uh, before we move on to defense, I do want to ask you this. Have you seen, at least on in the NFL, a coach use more motion than McDaniel has? Because it just feels like there's happened. all – Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I've seen – I think everybody's in motion on a single – every play, whether it's a tight end, a running back, a wide receiver. Like, and it's not always Hill. They use – obviously, they use Tyreek Hill a lot, especially in line as a tight end to get him moving um, – outward but it just it just always feels like there's so much going on and it's so many times I'm I'm used to the Adam Gase offense where you see the motion and you can ignore it because it's just window dressing whereas it doesn't feel like window dressing it could be it could be a lead blocker or it could be just getting someone moving but it just feels like there's it's motion for a purpose yeah it's every every little movement um, is definitely for a purpose, and that's what makes a great offense. And this offense is only going to get more intricate um, as the pieces stay the same, which is why I think, I mean, I know Waddle, I mean, Hill has talked about leaving um, and retiring in the next couple of years, um, but guys like Waddle, guys like A-Chan, um, those guys need to stay around, and you're going to see an importance on even the guys that come along, like the Berrioses, the Craycrafts, um, you won't see much turnover when we start bringing guys in just because it's the more continuity you can have from year to year, especially in the NFL where you have limited offseason practicing. Um, the fact that you can have continuity come in and out every year um, is going to allow them to even build deeper into this offense. And I'm excited to see um, over the next couple of years, once everybody starts motioning on every play, and we really look back on this Dolphins team as the start of that, um, it's going to be interesting to see what we do um, to go left when everybody else goes right again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, now moving on to the defense. Uh, I think it's fair to say that this is the fourth straight game where the defense has played from good to very good, if not great. Um, 
a big part of that and something we want to mention right off the top is we did get the big acquisition from this offseason, Jalen Ramsey playing. He got his pick in his first game, had a forced fumble. Jalen Ramsey's pretty good at football, huh? Yeah, he is. And uh, comes right out. The forced fumble, of course, didn't count because of a penalty. But that interception, he he saw it. And, you know, Eli Apple did have a bounce back game. Um, Not going to say he's been good because we know it's not. But we see what a difference of uh, having – Jalen Ramsey having Jalen Ramsey on the field is because you're not having Cater Cahoo as an outside boundary corner. He's better in the slot, and really, it allows you to also shift people over to help Apple a little bit more. He still Apple still had some struggles, but just makes me excited to see Ramsey and X on the field at the same time. Did you did you see? Um. Well, first of all, X wasn't on the field. Well, no, that's why I said I can't wait to see them on the field at the same time. Uh, um, sorry, I must have stopped listening. I was ready to say something. Um, did you see the video that somebody put on Twitter um, from the back view of that Ramsey interception? Yep. The the route he took. Dolphin fans listening, if you haven't seen it, um, I hope that maybe uh, our person in the back that's listening. Um, can go find the tweet and send it to me so I can send everybody there by the end of the episode. But just look up Jalen Ramsey interception and see if you can get that end zone shot if you haven't seen it already. That is a great instinctual play. That is, I mean, just good football. He left his man. Now it was probably a zone, and he was probably getting back into the coverage that he could have gotten into or should have been into. Um, but it was a hell of a play. It was an absolute hell of a play. He made a great play on the football, and what a great moment um, for the Dolphins and for this season. I mean, we've kind of been going through a little bit of a lull. We were great early on, um, and then we kind of flattened out a little bit. And I think just getting Jalen Ramsey back and having him make that play really just sent such an energy into the stadium and into the cra- um, into the team um, on that sideline. And it was just great to see for him – um, a guy who worked his way back. I don't know if you saw Brett the hype video that he posted on Instagram yep. Sunday morning. Um, that that gave me chills. I had to watch that two or three times. Uh, we put it on for people at the tailgate that hadn't seen it. Um, it was great. It was awesome. It was just great to see Jalen Ramsey on the field. Um, and our guy in the back working as always. They're unbelievable. Um, it is Tony H three hundred five at Tony H three hundred five on Twitter um, that tweeted the perfect angle of that Jalen Ramsey interception. Um, so if you haven't seen it, go check out Tony H305. Welcome back, Jalen Ramsey. Yep. And um, a couple other performances to talk about. Um, well, performances, but scheme as well, because I think you and I have been pretty consistent in both being frustrated with what Fangio was doing a lot, mostly personnel-wise, and not making adjustments in-game. But we, we also, at the same time, are preaching patience. Now, something I do want to mention is Bradley Chubb is someone who has gotten a lot of criticism since becoming a Dolphin, and he wasn't great after the trade. He, I wouldn't even say I noticed him much last year. But um, this season, and this is from uh, Marcel Luis Jacques, Bradley Chubb, uh, go, so far this season, is fourth in pass rush win rate behind Miles Garrett, uh, Boa Mafe, I think that's how you say it from Seattle, and Micah Parsons. Uh, he had three pressures and a sack yesterday. He has four sacks in his last three games. And uh, Marcel and also the other Miami beat writer, Daniel Oliafusi, have been talking about the metrics being heavily uh, heavy fans of Bradley Chubb, talking about how he's winning his uh, his matchups. He's just not getting the sacks. But anybody who follows advanced metrics, whether it's football, soccer, baseball, they all say those end up evening out, and eventually those pressures will become sacks. He has five on a year. That's big. But David Long went from barely playing his first, uh, the first game of the year. You and I mentioned that to he's really become what we thought we were getting. He is, he has been a beast. He's on, I think I saw today, he's on pace for 130 plus tackles. He was once again one of our top rated defenders uh, per PFF, 88.4 overall, only behind uh, Ramsey's 90. So our two defensive acquisitions this offseason 
two big ones, I should say, have been really good. Uh, but also shout out to Deshaun Elliott, who's come and won that safety job next to uh, Holland, who was out today, who was out because of concussion protocol. But they've all fit in and done a really good job. But more than anything, Jalen Phillips is healthy. He's starting to play well. Christian Wilkins, after a slow start, is playing well. Phillips, Wilkins, and Bradley Chubb all had a sack yesterday. They're starting to heat up. Wilkins is Wilkins and Sealer are on pace to have career highs and sacks. Phillips is healthy. I'm expecting him to really go on a run. So are we seeing just what a healthy I well, I should say this. I think we are seeing what a healthy defense or healthy hundred percent healthy defense or close to it looks in Fangio's scheme. Well, I think going back to Bradley Chubb last year, um, I think he was more so just taking up space. Um, and, and a lot of things that Chubb would do, and I, I ha- would have to go back and watch the film again and, and show you exact moments. Um, but I remember him off the top of my head, just more so creating space for other guys to make plays. Now, Bradley Chubb is disrupting teams and making plays. Um, and I think that's a credit to our defense. I think that's a credit to Fangio. I think that's a credit to Chubb being in a defense where he knows what's going on and feels comfortable. Um, and Fangio is just comfortable with knowing how to use him. I think Boyer a lot last year was still figuring out how to use Bradley Chubb, um, which is why it went the way it is. Um, I'm so proud of Deshaun Elliott. Uh, he's definitely been the most underrated signing we made this offseason. Um, he's definitely um, surprised me at least the most. Um, from any new player that we have. Um, I thought that player was going to be David Long, um, but it's turned into Deshaun Elliott. Um, and David Long just continues to improve every week. Um, he was terrible early in the season. I remember calling him out on one of our episodes um, for being disappointed because I was so excited in that offseason signing. Um, but he's really had a couple games in a row here. Um, other than Jalen Ramsey, like you said, he was our second-rated player on PFF, um, which, which is great to see. Um, you want to see that from Deshaun Elliott. Um, and yeah, it, if you look at the PFF rankings, um, both on offense and defense, uh, the players that you wanted to, uh, show out, showed out. So that's good. You have Tyree kill as your number one offensive player. You have Jalen Ramsey, your number one defensive player. If those guys are playing at that level, we're going to have a lot of success. And just another shout out, um, because Holland was out, Brandon Jones got the start and I thought Brandon Jones played really well. I'm not... I'm not used to seeing him stay back as much. Um, he did have a couple almost interceptions. I hope he's not in concussion protocol because Juju did kind of have that dirty hit at the end of the game, uh, which looked like it rang his bell. But it's good to see we're starting to get the pieces back and we're starting to get the pieces uh, in, um, integrated again. Now we just need to get Needham more involved in the defense as well. But I'm ex- I'm starting to get excited again about this defense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we we said since the beginning of the season, we said if this defense holds up, um, we're going to be a special football team. And this defense showed um, yesterday what they can do. Uh, and we just need to continue coming to form throughout the rest of the season. I mean, we have, what, nine games left um, to kind of show um, who we are and get prepped for when it matters. So we just need to keep improving week in and week out. Absolutely. Now, to kind of play off of that, is Dolphins six and two. I think I heard uh, yesterday. This is the first time we've been six and two in over two decades, which is both shocking and not shocking at all. Just knowing what we've had. Uh, but right now, there's uh, the other team six and two in the division are KC, Baltimore, and Jacksonville, and then you have Buffalo at uh, five and three. So, and then I guess you can probably since he's starting to kind of figure things out now too. Uh, Jordan. Is it safe to say that those are the teams fighting for the one seed? That might be the basically the whole playoff uh, field on the AFC anyway. But uh, who do you think is who do you think is the toughest matchup for the Dolphins, or at least cont- uh, opponent for the for for the number one seed? So I, I think when you look at the teams that are going to be competing for the one seed, and this conversation is based off of the fact um, that we're projecting the Dolphins to win the division. Now, obviously, they have to win the division to be possible for the one seed. Um, so what I'd like to do is I start to start looking at um, who the, the other teams play. Um, and for the sake of this exercise, I'm only really going to use two teams. Um, I, I just don't see – or I'm sorry, I'm going to use three teams. Um, 
I, I just don't see um, a team like the Steelers making a run. Um, I don't see any of those other teams in the AFC West um, making a run. Um, so really it comes down to the Chiefs, um, Baltimore, and Jacksonville. Um, and you start looking at their schedules um, and, and looking at who they have to go through the rest of the year. Um, we'll start with the Jaguars. So, Brett, when I read these teams, I want you to count losses. In okay. your mind, just count the amount of times you think these teams lose the rest of the year. You ready? Yep. Here's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars are home against San Fran, home against Tennessee, at Houston, home against Cincinnati, at Cleveland, home against Baltimore, at Tampa Bay, home against Carolina, at Tennessee. I see four more losses. For sure losses. Four losses. So we have the Jacksonville Jaguars ending at 11 and 6. Yeah. All right. Now we're moving on to the Baltimore Ravens. Now make sure you remember who you had the Ravens Jaguars winner being when we do this. Yep. Um, the Ravens play home against Seattle, home against Cleveland, home against Cincinnati, at the Chargers, home against the Rams, at Jacksonville, at San Francisco, home against Miami. Home against Pittsburgh. I have them winning six games. How many losses, bud? Oh, so we'll we'll put them at we'll put them at twelve and five. Yeah, twelve and five. Sorry, I can do math that way too. We're okay. (laughs) Uh, All right, now the Chiefs. The Chiefs are home against the Dolphins. Well, Germany against the Dolphins. Sorry, Germany against the Dolphins. Home against the Eagles. At the Raiders, at the Packers, home against the Bills, at the Patriots, home against the Raiders, home against the Bengals, at the Chargers. I only have two losses for the Chiefs. You have two losses for the Chiefs, which puts them at 13 and 4. And that was kind of the purpose of the exercise and the roundabout place I was going to get at. But for shits and giggles, let's do the Dolphins. Um, and let's be realistic and not just say the Dolphins are winning every game, which I know we're both probably going to end up picking us to win every one of these games anyways. Yep. Uh, the, the Dolphins are in Germany against the Chiefs, home against the Raiders, at the Jets, at the Commanders, home against the Titans, home against the Jets, Home against the Cowboys, at the Ravens, home against the Bills. I have us losing two games. So, if you look at the schedules, I think you can say that Baltimore and Jacksonville have much tougher schedules, and that's without looking at win percentage and all that remaining. Um, I think it's clear to say the Jaguars and Ravens both have much tougher schedules um, than the Dolphins and Chiefs. So this game might be a repeat um, of what is the one seed versus the two seed. And more importantly, if you only see each of these teams losing one or two games the rest of the season, this is a huge game that's being played across the pond. Yeah. And of course, we have to admit, like, I think there's other games that we could realistically lose or any of the teams lose just by based off of playing. And we'll get more into that, like KC. I'm going off of the KC we've known for the last couple of years. If anybody's watched them this year, they don't look the same. Buffalo does like Buffalo and Baltimore all have weaknesses. Jacksonville too. Um, I've never seen Lamar Jackson play as well as a quarterback as he had this year, but the receivers are letting him down. Buffalo was probably more injured than us, but they're losing the players long term. And Jacksonville, I just don't buy yet, but. It's going to be interesting, but I don't. Is it safe to say, aside from those teams, you don't really see anybody coming out of nowhere and making a run in the second half, do you? I mean, I could see the Bengals turning it on. Um, I, I don't think they're well enough coached to win a Super Bowl. I don't think, but I think they have Joe Burrow, and I think Joe Burrow can win a Super Bowl. Um, so it, you can always see the Chiefs making a run. Um, I think the Browns and the Steelers are both good football teams, have good defenses. Um, I don't trust their quarterback enough. Um, both are well-coached teams. I think if you put Stefanski 
or Mike Tomlin on the Bengals. I think the Bengals have a legitimate shot to win a Super Bowl. Um, I don't see any of the Texans, Titans, or Colts making it. I don't think the Chargers are well enough coached, and I, I think the Raiders and Broncos are a bit of a disaster. <clears throat> um, so unless the Broncos go on a crazy streak and just win out the rest of the year, which <laughs> – so let's talk about the Broncos for a second, who have now won two in a row against the Packers and the Chiefs. They play the Bills on Monday night this week at Buffalo. So let's say they lose this week. Then they go Vikings, Browns, Texans, Chargers. I can see the Broncos winning a decent amount of games um, to get themselves in a position to take one of those wild card spots after the disaster um, that they've been early this year. Um, you want to talk about the Jets? I think that the Jets are have one of the best defenses in the league. Um, obviously, the the Giants had what was it negative nine passing yards this week. Yep. Um, and the Jets can run the ball. Uh, so if Zach Wilson can not turn the ball over, if they can get Rodgers back in January, um, unfortunately, they're going to be a tough team for us to play. Uh, the team I don't want to play, if I'm, if I'm a Dolphin, um, I think the only team I really don't want to play um, is probably Baltimore. Um, it's an just, interesting matchup. Just simply, yes, it is an interesting matchup. Um, the combination of um, we play them late in the year, so it would be playing them twice in a, in a little bit of time. Um, they run the ball really well, and I struggle to see us being able to stop the run for 60 minutes in a, in a cold-weather game. Um, and I, I hope we do, um, but I trust once Howard and Ramsey are back out there, I trust them a little more, and I trust our pass rush a little more then I trust our run defense. Um, and that's just especially against a running quarterback. Um, and I like the Ravens' defense a lot. I think that their defense has been outstanding this year. Um, they've given up the least amount of points in the AFC. Um, so I, I think the Ravens are a tough matchup. Um, and then I think an honorable mention, I mean, you never want to play the Bills um, because you don't want to play a team for the third time in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the, this it's year might the Ravens, be the, it's the Ravens or Bills for me. I don't want to play either one of them. No, fair enough. Um, next topic I have listed down tomorrow, 4 p.m., trade deadline. Uh, today there was a fairly big trade. The Giants sent Leonard Williams to the Seahawks for a second round pick this year and a fifth round pick in 2025. I uh, think that definitely helps Seattle, where I think we can all agree that the NFC is a little more wide open, so it might get some might get them a little closer to competing for a Super Bowl. I think right now the Super Bowl does go through Philadelphia, but that is a big defensive add for Seattle. But I don't know about you, Jordan. I don't think you well, you and I a couple of weeks ago did do a bit of a breakdown on potential trade candidates, especially with the team in on already in Germany. I don't I don't see us making a trade, do you? I don't, but at the same time, I mean, Greer is aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um, there was, I think it was Diana Rossini on Sunday um, who said that we were poking around with running backs. Um, that didn't really make sense to me. I was trying to go through the names. Um, the only name I could come up with, which I haven't seen anywhere, I'm not reporting, I'm nothing, but literally going through the teams and talking about what makes sense, the only thing I could come up with was Rashad White from Tampa. Um, but I don't necessarily see that happening. Yeah. Um, I think they could poke around for a tight end. Just because just, I... Just not Tommy Tremble, right? Just No, absolutely not. Didn't he catch a touchdown this week? He did, a one-yard touchdown. Yeah, I remember seeing that. And I was so... Everybody that was sitting around me at the game was wondering why I was laughing my ass off at a Tommy Tremble touchdown. Yeah. And they couldn't figure it out. And I, I didn't want to explain it. I'm like people around me probably thought I was some degenerate gambler that had fifty dollars on a Tommy Tremble anytime touchdown. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily see a tight end. Um, or well, if we do make a trade, I think it could be a tight end. Um, but I don't see us adding a defensive player. Um, I I would like to see an inside linebacker, but I think they're gonna let Baker and Long play this thing out. Um 
and I don't see us adding just depth. Um, I would yeah. like a depth defensive lineman, um, but I don't I don't necessarily see us giving up assets at this point for that. Um, and but I don't think playing in Germany um, affects that in any way. I think they I think they can throw them on a United or American flight and throw them out there. Yeah, but speaking of trade deadline, shout out to Chase Claypool catching his first uh, catch for the Dolphins. He actually was actually a pretty nice catch. I thought it, he broke a tackle. Actually ended up rated pretty high. Technically our second highest offensive player at a seventy five point three. Now that was mostly because of his blocking and He's you know he has so good. Yeah, he is good at blocking, and I think he realizes this This is kind of his last chance, too, because he definitely looks like he's ready to do the dirty work he wasn't ready to do in Chicago. I think when you're going down into a Super Bowl run or a playoff run, you, every team that plays well come January, February, has one of those players that was a high pick somewhere else and, and was a little bit of a diva, didn't really want to do the dirty work, cause problems, and always end up, making a key block or a key move um, for a team down the stretch. I think Claypool's that guy for us this year. Yeah. And um, it's also worth mentioning, you cannot discount what kind of culture Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel have built in Miami, which in a lot of ways is amazing to think about, especially with how toxic it seemed under Brian Flores. Yeah, I think people just like McDaniel. And I think McDaniel was very smart um, when he came to Miami uh, one thing I noticed about McDaniel early on, and, and I think people are going to laugh when I say this, um, McDaniel spent a lot of time around the Miami Heat coaching staff. And when you say that, it's, oh, it's basketball. But the Miami Heat culture, coaching staff has been in South Florida for such a long time, understands this area, and understands how to build what you said, a culture in this area. Um, I, I think doing that uh, allowed him to kind of just see what they were doing. He sat courtside at a lot of Heat games um, and just saw, both in year one and year two, um, the atmosphere. And more importantly, how well-liked Eric Spolstra is. Eric Spolstra, um, I compared McDaniel and Spolstra a lot when we first brought in McDaniel. Um, and I think it's rung true that they're both very, very well-liked guys. But when they're serious and they're talking to you about ball and they're talking to players about ball, players listen. Players listen and players respect what they have to say. Um, and I think those guys are both guys um, that I, I could see being around uh, winning for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it, it does make sense. I think culture is great, but too many people – are t too many people don't know how to implement it. Too many people try to do the Patriot culture and not realizing, I think now they are starting to realize that the reason that culture worked was because greatest quarterback of all time bought into that culture. Maybe a little cheating too, but you know, if you, some people say if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, but that's, that's for other people to decide and not for us. Right. But I think different types of culture work well for different types of organizations and different types of people. I don't think McDaniel can come in and be a disciplinarian. Just like I don't think Brian Flores could come in and be this funny, well-liked guy. Yeah. Like I don't think I, – I think that the people that were on the Patriots, and that's why you saw a lot of guys go to the Patriots and not work because you have to be a certain type of guy to play for the Patriots and work in that system. You – I, I think that the the way the Dolphins are doing it and the culture that the Dolphins are building and the culture that the Heat built are they allow you to kind of bring your personality into the mix. And if you bring your personality and what you're best at, we'll find the spot for you to go and make it work. I think that the Patriots, what they needed was you're going to come in and do it our way. It was the Patriot way was very much a real thing. It wasn't Patriot culture. It wasn't bring your personality into the Patriots. It was, no, come be a robot, don't make mistakes, and do what Tom needs you to do to win. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting just to see how different the uh, the building of teams are. And it is really exciting. Like, this, this is fun. It just feels like this is authentic. It feels Miami to me. And I don't even live in Miami. But it does feel 
like a very Miami way of doing things, which is not a bad thing. Um, now, on to the part of the show that everybody loves, Jordan. It's time to put people on the list. And yes, I am saying people because we not only have one, we not only have two, but we have three people to add to the list today, Jordan. Yes, we do. Do you want to go first or do you want me to start this one off? No, I'll go first. Um, we're going to start. And this is, he didn't say anything too egregious yesterday, but just because he kind of started the annoyance with the media last year, I'm going to put Adam Archuleta, who was the color commentator for our game yesterday, on the list. I remember last year he was just ripping to a, a new one, just talking about how he's probably not, he's going to get benched. He's not the starter and just praising everything the Patriots did. He was kind of reserved yesterday. He wasn't as hard on Tua, but he did still say stuff about how the Patriots are rattling Tua and how Mac Jones is putting together a great game. So, eh, whatever. Like, this is just more of a, you should have, if the list was around last year, you would have been put on it. And you just, you've just been the bane of my existence since then, just because of how annoying that game was. So Adam Archuleta, that's, this isn't the greatest introduction, but you're also not the greatest color commentator. So you just made the list. Second person I have, it kind of goes on what I did the last time we played the Patriots. And this person just personifies what I said about New England media and why I hate them. And Phil Perry of Locked On Patriots was at the game, and he just said the only difference between the two teams was talent. And he actually went on record of saying that Tua is holding the Dolphins back. Jordan, do you know who leads the NFL in passing yards? I'm going to assume it's Tua. Yep. Do you know who leads the NFL in passer rating? I'm going to assume it's Tua. Do you know who leads the NFL in passing touchdowns? So, according to this guy, it's, it's Mike McDaniel, right? Basically, or it's our receivers doing too much. But... Got some other stats for you. What do you know what the since McDaniel's gotten here into Miami? Do you know what the Dolphins' point per games are with Tua? Uh, probably a lot higher than without Tua. So with Tua and Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins are tw average twenty eight point six nine points a game, which is first in the NFL. When Tua doesn't play in that time frame. They are 20th in the NFL at 19.24 points a game. When Tua plays under McDaniel, the Dolphins are 14 and 7. Without Tua, we're 1 and 4. And that one win was against a very hobbled Jets team and was a very late win. And then I also see the post in our Discord how what's his name? Tom Curran or whatever. I don't even care if I got his name wrong but on media on a boston sports shows is going on again sharing this thought pure this thought process that Tua is only succeeding because of the players around him and he's holding us back jordan boston people live in a different world and it just blows my mind and i it i'm getting mad like i am losing my words and I am forgetting that I am just putting Phil Perry on the list because I just want to just talk about how much I hate these Patriot beat writers and the people who cover the Patriots who do not understand what it's like to be a mediocre franchise. They don't understand that it's not just what well, they should understand. And I'm losing my train of thought because they should understand because they saw what Tom Brady did for them. How do they not understand that a quarterback and a good coach, right combination, can elevate a team. So, Phil Perry, you just made the list, and just because I am so worked up, Boston Sports Media, you're on the list again, and I am I'm not on video right now, but just to know, I am flipping a double bird, and I am just worked up again, and it's annoying. Brett gives a double bird. Wow. Uh, Zach, write that down. That is the name of tonight's episode, Brett Gives a Double Bird. That is, that is going to be the name of the episode. <laughs> Um, so before I go to my entry, I actually, you put Boston media on for the second time onto the list. Um, but 
I want to give a shout out to a former member that we put on the list earlier in the season. Um, that being Ben Volan. Um, ben Volan at 7 p.m. after the game ended tweeted, and I quote, Tua owns Belichick like no other QB. Um, so Ben Volan, props to you for having your eyes open. Um, props to you for understanding what it is. Um, so Ben, you're not off the list yet. Um, we'll talk about how you can get yourself off the list come this offseason. Um, however, Boiler, Ben Volan, I, we'll see. He probably can't, but it it can make life a little easier for him. Um, but Ben, props to you for making a uh, easy comment there um, and, a, and a true statement. Um, mine, um, I was going to actually not leave, put anybody um, on the list today um, just because, and there are a couple people I've wanted to put on the list. Um, there's somebody that I got in trouble for putting on the list, so um, I would never mention that Buffalo fan again. Um, but the, the one guy that I will put on the list today that was actually sent to me this morning, um, and I will, um, go ahead and butcher his name is Arjun Manan. Um, I couldn't even tell you, I want to look up this guy's name. Um, I couldn't tell you where he's from. I couldn't tell you where, um, I, I see there's a Indian singer songwriter with this name, but I don't think that this is, oh, it is him. Did you know this guy's a singer? I did not. He's I'm pretty sure he used, he used to work for the New York Jets in analytics, according to his Twitter. Um, well, maybe it's not the same guy, but I looked him up and it shows his Twitter. Um, no, maybe not the same guy. Um, but he, I wish he was. That would be pretty funny um, if he was a singer. However, this guy, um, Arjun Manan 100 on Twitter, um, tweeted, first on September 12th, 2022... Um, he said that air yards um, was something we need to look at versus Yak to break down Tua's efficiency as a quarterback. Um, now, if you think back to the last year, this is when Tua was playing at a high level. Um, and this man was claiming, Arjun Manan, that Tua's Yak compared to his air yards is what should be looked at in talking about his efficiency as a quarterback. Now, fast forward to this morning. Um, where Mr. Manon uh, tweeted about Justin Herbert, air yards is not a quarterback stat and is more dictated by scheme, pass protection, defensive alignment, and wide receivers than it is by the quarterback himself. So respectively, we can collectively leave that stat in the garbage when it comes to evaluating or comparing quarterbacks. Now, Mr. Manon, how come last year on September 12th, 2022, you said that you wanted to talk about air yards when it came to Tua. But fast forward to October 30th, 2023, you say air yards is not a real stat when talking about Justin Herbert. That, to me, sir, means that you are flip-flopping. And Brett, do you know what happens to flip-floppers? They get called on it, and their name gets put on a list. So, Arjun Manan, for your flip-flopping ways... You, sir, have made the list, and I look forward to other people exposing you in the future. Yeah, no, that is deserved. We were talking about that earlier in the Discord, um, and it's funny because having looked at Arjun Manon's uh, Twitter page, he actually does do some really good analytics, so it is kind of disappointing that he goes and does something stupid like that and got called out for it, but you deserve to get called out for it because, as we say, Jordan, you don't say stupid shit. And you don't, and because we keep receipts, and he's lucky that Dolphins' receipts didn't find that Twitter that tweet before we did. Um, but also, I do have to say this, and I got so worked out up. But shout out to the captain of art on Dolphins' Twitter, and I'm a little upset with him, jokingly of course. But he put Phil Perry on the famous Cuck Mountain, which has been infamous and viral for Dolphins' Twitter. For three years, even gets mentioned on the Pat McAfee show. But he beat us to putting Phil Perry on the list, and we decided at like seven a.m. he was going on the list. So, uh, shout out to you, shout out to you, buddy, for doing God's work. Uh, wish we could have beat you, beat you to it, but always will uh, tip my beer to you and have a toast. Uh, but Jordan, before we before we sign off, a couple big things have happened in the last week for us. Of course, last week, don't remember if we mentioned it or not, but we got uh, the list got over. Got over a thousand all-time uh, downloads, which is great. 
I think you and I will both admit we were not expecting to hit that this early. But not at while, all. while we were recording, and this is a smaller thing, but we are definitely making our presence known on Twitter is we have now over 200 followers. And I do want to shout out a specific Twitter account. He is now uh, at Kevin Kev Harlan Effect. Uh, he used to be JL Senna on Twitter, but ever since we started, he has been a big supporter, and he continues to tweet out the podcast to uh, get people to follow us. So, And uh, another one would be David Fisher, who, if you don't follow him on Twitter, he does a lot of cool AI pictures for the Dolphins. But those two have both been consistently uh, sharing our Twitter page, and thank you to everybody who listens. But those two, definitely, I'm giving a shout-out to because they are definitely a big part of us growing on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it nowadays. Yeah. I think that one thing, um, and I think it's, it's something I've seen people say recently um, that's really been true um, is that dolphins Twitter really has, first of all, embraced us um, and embraces each other. Um, I think that social media is filled with such hate um, that it's, it's very nice to see a, a community and a group um, that I've really appreciated being a part of over these last couple months um, because of the way people do uplift each other. Um, people try to do get followers for each other. Um, and, and it does feel like um, I have more of a um, group of fans that I watch these games with, even more so than when just being in the Discord um, and watching with my family and, and think about all that. Um, but Dolphin's Twitter and Dolphin's social media has really been awesome. Um, we appreciate the follows, um, and we love and and will love over the off season. I know we have a lot of great stuff planned, um, but I would love to take some time over the off season and learn more about some of these personalities uh, that we have around Dolphins Twitter. Um, learn about them, learn about them, their stories, um, learn about what they have going on, um, and as we go into next season and future seasons, really build a brand. Um, of a community of Dolphin fans. So I'm very proud of it. Um, it. It's awesome. I'm obviously thankful for the people that help us put this show on. Um, we have good times. We have laughs. Um, and we have arguments just like any family and just like any um, group of people who are trying to do something great. Um, but agreements and disagreements, I really appreciate all the people that put work into this um, and to all of Dolphin's community. Absolutely. And you can also join us and check out our our, our articles, too, that are coming out on thelistpodcast.com. Of course, you can listen to our podcast there as well as Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Pod, well, not Google Podcasts, but uh, Amazon Podcasts. We're on, all, we're on all of them. But definitely, thank you for the follows, guys. Thank you for the listens, and let's just keep growing as the family, the Miami Dolphins community is. And I think it is time for us to end on that on a high note on a positive note so for jordan and zach my name is brett this is the list and we are watching zach hit that music